Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. to the Big Red Bench and Quark's Red FM with me, Valerie Wheeler, with you until 7pm tonight. We have a very busy show. So in GA, where are managers most effective? Are they most effective in the stand or on the sideline? You can let me know on 86 Michael Moynihan of the Irish Examiner joins me to discuss his piece in the paper about that. Also, Olympic hopeful and Ireland's fastest woman, Phil Healy, joins me. Olympic medal winning roar and household name Paul O'Donovan also joins me in the Big Red Bench. Dara Daly, the National Development Officer for the GA Handball on how the sport has been impacted during COVID. So we have all that and more on the Big Wrench between now and 7pm on Cork's Red FM. Welcome along to the Big Red Bench with me, Valerie Wheeler, with you until 7pm tonight. I hope you're all keeping safe and well. The roads are lethal out there, so be careful if you are travelling. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with the show tonight, I'd love so. I'd love if you do so. We are chatting about where are man- managers most effective, whether it be Jay or Camogie or ladies football. Are they most effective while sitting in the stand or on the sideline being as passionate as they are? 086-8104-106. You can text stand or sideline and let me know. But um, we've plenty coming up in the show, as you just heard. But let's get the sporting news first. So another day brings another retirement as Mayo's bench seems to be getting lighter and lighter as this season goes on. So Keith Higgins is the latest player to announce his retirement. He is the latest player from the last player, sorry, from the 2006 All-Ireland Final. And that year, he also captained Mayo to an under-21 title. He's an amazing player. I mean, what a defender he was. Four All-Stars. Hurling, football, club, county, he had it all. I mean, he even has won seven county titles as a hurler with Ballyhawness. So, like, not just a footballer. What an amazing, amazing player he was, retiring at the age of 35. So, the very best wishes to Keith. Um, in soccer, Arsenal. It wasn't a great day for Arsenal. and I am an Arsenal fan, so this is great reading this. Arsenal, the hopes of ending the season with silver, did take a massive hit this morning. They were knocked out of the FA Cup in the fourth round. The holders were beaten 1-0 by Southampton at St Mary's thanks to Gabriel own goal in the 24th minute. Uh, boss Mikel Arteta admits that they're disappointed not to be able to repeat last season's success but says he's pleased with his players' effort. How they try and how they improve throughout the game and, and try to go for the goal in the second half the way we did it. But it wasn't enough because we considered a goal that uh, we shouldn't and we created the chances um, we didn't hit the target. Meanwhile, in the half as five game, uh, Chelham Town entertained Manchester City, where the score is currently nil all. I just had a look there. And there's one Premier League game later when Aston Villa hosts Newcastle at eight o'clock. Now we have some action in the rugby this evening. Monster and Leinster are at full strength for this evening's Guinness Pro 14 derby in Limerick. 37 internationals have been named across the two matchday squads as the players get a final chance to impress uh, Ireland coach Andy Farrell ahead of the Six Nations. So defending champions Leinster go into this game five points behind Conference. A leaders Ulster, while Munster occupy the top spot in Conference B. Um, a little later on, we're going to hear uh, in full uh, Johan van Gran how he expects the game to go. But let's take a little le- listen. He said he expects it to be a tight affair. It comes down to to small moments and and guys taking the opportunities. And um, you know we didn't take our opportunities in the semi final, and they did. And 
you know, they are rightly the champions and, uh, you know, we're looking forward to, to play against them on, on Saturday evening at Thurman Park. Yeah, so that action gets underway at Thurman Park at 25 to 8. Uh, at least it's nice viewing for the evening for some of us now in turning over to golf Rory McIlroy will take a one shot lead into tomorrow's final round of the golf's Abu Dhabi HSBC Championship he's 13 under par after signing off for a round of 67 this afternoon at double bogey on his final hole today saw Padraig Harrington slip back to two over now to mixed martial arts MMA of um, UFC star Conor McGregor returns the octagon for the first time in 12 months um, he's in the fighting in the early hours of tomorrow morning. Um, he's not fought professionally since beating Donald Cowboy Curran inside 40 seconds last January. And the interesting thing about this, it will take place in front of a limited number of fans in Abu Dhabi. All right. Uh, plenty coming up in tonight's show. We're going to talk to our Olympic hopefuls a little later on. But first of all, I did mention, did you think that the GA, maybe Camogie, ladies football managers should be in the stander on the sideline? Get in touch with us at 0868104106 right now. Where do you think they're most effective? I'm extremely interested in this piece and to see how people feel on this night. If you do play, head over to our poll also on Twitter at The Big Red Bench and you can take a vote there. Joining me on The Big Red Bench this week is journalist with the Irish Examiner, Michael Moynihan. Michael, welcome to The Big Red Bench. Thanks for having me. Michael, you had in the a piece in the Examiner today which caught my eye. Um, it was about the sideline and stand, and where are managers in the GA most effective? Now, you did mention that this debate probably stemmed from Ronan Agarra a couple of weeks ago, as he said he had a fondness for pitch sides as an option for managers. Yeah, Ronan likes to call him every week in the Examiner. A lot of people are probably aware of that, and he was commenting on the fact that the rugby coach. He obviously spends a lot of his time in a kind of box uh, affair that they have up in the stand, but he himself in the piece says he sometimes likes to get down and mix it up on the sideline. Uh, in GA style, as he said himself, citing John Coyley and Liam Sheedy as examples, because it gives him an opportunity, I suppose, to be close to the players and to influence the officials. So from that, I extrapolated maybe it might be interesting to touch base with a couple of managers and to see what they thought. And maybe in, a, in an ideal world, would they prefer to be up in the stand and not down on the sideline. Yeah, and I think what you did find was quite interesting. It was such a great read. So if anyone hasn't seen it in the Examiner today, do pick up a piece of the paper. Um, before I get into the piece, which would you prefer yourself, Michael? Well, to be honest with you, having had to sit with supporters a few times at matches, I think uh, being down the sideline might insulate you a little bit from the, the contributions that people have to make in the stand. I, I think there's something to be said for being close to the action. I can see the attraction of being up high and having a good view, but uh, certainly I think you're more hands-on, you can make decisions quicker, and I think you probably get a, a better sense of the players when you're face-to-face with them. Yeah, I would like to say that I, I much prefer them on the sideline myself. I think the encouragement is there, they show quite a lot of emotion, and they show passion. Yeah, and I suppose, as I said to one or two of the managers, I guess, you know, if someone comes over to the sideline and you can see in their face maybe have they lost their concentration have they tiring a little bit or maybe they had a little bit too much passion maybe they got a, a box or something they're looking to take a bit of revenge and you can talk them down I think that, that interaction that closeness is, it, it's not just physical you can see and you can influence the game probably a little bit more and of course you can get into the ear of the, of the referee or the, the sideline official as well Yeah you did say you asked a few managers and former managers so we'll start with John Kiley. And I, I, I'm, it's no surprise to me that John Kiley said he'd prefer the sideline, to be honest, Michael. Yeah, and I mean, as he says himself, he, he's all in. 
and it's all part of of the collective, I suppose. That um, you know, he's he's obviously demonstrative and enthusiastic and expressive on the sideline. That rubs off on the players. Uh, but also, he said it, it, it give, does give him a chance to influence and to maybe coach them a little more closely. Uh, I think the comparison he made to American football, which obviously has a lot of coaching staff on the sideline, he said in a game like hurling, which is so frenetic and so many things are happening that. You know, maybe that if you were in the stands, you wouldn't have the chance to 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 be so decisive so quickly. So I could see his logic certainly. And Colin Collins, I mean, he said if Wright was right, that maybe they should be in the stand. Yeah, Colin Collins a great guy to talk to because you know he thinks deeply about these things, and he's also very interested in other sports. I mean, he's the piece and see he mentioned coaches in the NBA and in um, the NFL. And he made the comparison between a couple of games in the NFL last weekend where timeouts were wasted and so on because the coaches on the side weren't decisive enough. Maybe there's too many cooks. But um, Colum did, Colum did acknowledge that in, in his younger days he was a bit more fiery <laughs> and that maybe he needs to be understanding a little bit more. But um, again, no, he, he, made, he made that point that, for instance, in Gaelic football with the black card, if uh, the player is in the sin bin for 10 minutes, he said you can see them work uh, the officials to uh, the, the team who've lost that player, they can work the officials to try and cut down the amount of playing time. And that's obviously not something you can do from the from the stand. You have to be on the sideline, maybe distracting the the linesman or the fourth official while the the clock ticks down. Yeah, and I know before we go more into that, I think that Eamon Fitzmaurice he did say that he did give this a go, but it didn't last long for him. Yeah, um, Eamon, again, no, he's a guy who gives a lot of thought to these things. You know, he, he contributes to the examiner on occasion. His pieces are always well worth reading. But he was saying, I think 2014, he tried going into the stand and maybe, and in fairness, John Coyley made this point that you, know, you remove yourself a little bit from the from the ebb and flow of it. But he also made the point that Kerry were bringing through some new players at that time. And he, he felt that maybe those new players needed the reassurance of seeing the manager on the sideline where they would expect to see him. And that would be, you know, that would help them settle in. I mean, he made a very good point that, you know, you are trying to create, all managers are trying to create a situation where the players are driving driving the thing themselves. But that that's a, that's maybe a journey rather than a destination. I think after a few games, he came down onto the sideline. Probably worth mentioning to all of these serious intercounty teams would have people in the stand who would be mic'd up to selectors on the sideline. So they're not, they're not necessarily missing out too much on, on anything that's picked up by someone with a better view because that's conveyed to them pretty immediately. Yeah, that's what I was going to mention to you, Michael. I think there's a, you know, some people might forget that they have stats team and there could be two or three alone in the stats team. There could be someone in the terrace, there could be someone in another side of the stand feeding this information to the manager about different players in the field. Yeah, and, uh, you know, as I said, like any serious team, I would say even at club level, I would probably have someone at, you know, standing on the bank or in the stand at, at a serious match. I suppose the danger sometimes is that there's too much information coming through. Yeah. I'm sure that one selector stay on the sideline is, is the filter for that, that he kind of picks up the information and chooses what to convey to the manager uh, for change. But in fairness, Eamon Fitzmaurice freely admitted, he said, you know, you're watching back the game later or a day or two later on the Sunday game he said you will see things that you didn't see from the angle that you were at uh, at ground level that it's only when the camera TV camera is up high that it picks up you know where players are how deep they are how far away they are from each other uh, you know he was he was quite frank about that he said you know you do learn uh, stuff that you know you know you didn't you didn't pick up live as it were 
Yeah, no, we did have a poll up online yesterday. When I saw your piece, I said, let's let's test this out for the people of the Cork and all around Ireland that might have taken a vote on this. But 74%, that was the last time I looked, said they'd prefer the sideline, which, to be honest, it's not surprising for me that the majority of people would want them on the sideline. Yeah, I think I think the reason Ron Nogar mentioned John and Liam in the first place is that I think they would be two of the more demonstrative managers or coaches. They, you know, they puck every ball with their players and they're jumping up and on. That, that's energising for the players. It's energising for the crowd as well. And that creates a kind of virtuous circle, I suppose, where the crowd is getting into The players pick up on that. They look glanced over at the sideline. The manager is poking every ball and, you know, ordering them on. We certainly saw with Liam Carlson and Waterford that was very noticeable in this year's championship when there were so few few people in the stand uh, in the crowd. You could see that. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not surprising. And like Colin Connors made a very good point. He said, you know, fair enough. He said, sometimes you would like to be like a rugby coach, maybe, you know, nice and secretive away. But he said American football and professional soccer are probably the two best resource team sports in the world. And that's where the coaches are, they're on the sideline. So you know, that tells you a lot as well, as you and I know we have a response on Twitter as well. Um, Adrian Looney said, I'm surprised how this poll is going. I think managers' actions on the sideline offer nothing to the game, only intimidating match officials. The game should always be about the players and not any antics outside of the playing field, in my opinion. That's a fair point, but I think most people would acknowledge that there's a, a secondary kind of a shadow between officials and management of both teams and the... Uh, referees, the linesmen and the fourth officials because you know every team is looking for an advantage and whether that's a case of, of making friends with the linesmen you know over the course of the 70 minutes or maybe getting the fourth official to expedite your substitution just a little bit quicker or as we said earlier maybe running down the 10 minutes your players on a on a black card those, those are all the you know the little percentages people talk but it's funny that you know you often hear managers and coaches refer to you know, all sports as you know, being across every detail and nothing is left to chance. Well, those are the kinds of things that aren't left to chance. Those are the little details that, that coaches and managers pay a lot of attention to. And we have another one here from John, and I think John makes a great point saying, I think they should be on the sideline. What would we do without Davy Fitz on the sideline? <laughs> I guess that's, that's, the whole, that's the whole point. I mean, even, even that... You know, kind of um, um, and struggling for circus, <laughs> circus. He brings circus, maybe Michael. So, yeah. but if you remember a year or two ago, uh, David was suspended. I was actually at the match in Wexford Park, and he had a little booth built. Uh, and he, he said himself afterwards, he got a lot out of that that he preferred to get inside. Like, but then actually, that was a valuable experience for him because you know, some of the I spoke to, so it kind of removed him from the emotion which was probably a minus but the plus side of that was he was able to focus maybe more on the game and you know on the tactics and, and, and what was happening but I mean look there's no denying that people people expect uh, a certain display from certain managers and in Davies case they certainly get that that's true um, with the GA probably on the back burner for quite a while they're probably set to delay maybe the leagues for another bit Michael can you see it even going ahead towards March maybe April Sure, look, I suppose um, no more, no more than anybody else who wouldn't claim to be an epidemiologist. I think, you know, obviously the figures are very bad, even though they seem to be improving slightly. We're certainly a long way away from where we need to be. Like, looking back now, you'd have to say it was a miracle that the championships were run off at all yeah. um, before Christmas. 
So, I mean, I, I, I couldn't see I couldn't see it happening for a couple of months. The only, I thought the store where I got together that maybe when the vaccinations really kick in and when more vaccines are cleared by administrations and more, you know, more rolled out, maybe that will, maybe that will speed things up a little bit. But um, certainly I, I, I'd be amazed to see the National League as we half expect them to be run off. I, I couldn't see them being played maybe this time this summer. Maybe you're looking at the autumn again. Yeah, hopefully we will get to see them at some stage because I know COVID has impacted a lot in the sport, especially in even your own profession, Michael. I think being, you know, a sports writer and even being here as a sports reporter and broadcaster, you know, how have you found that? How have you found your job? I mean, you've probably found ways to be more creative over the last few weeks. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we, we did have last last year's lockdown, which was, was quite similar. I, I think I think probably sports is like a lot of a lot of um, outlets and professions that, that aren't frontline professions that you've got the, the lessons learned maybe almost 12 months ago that yeah. you've attempted to go forward. I mean, look, <laughs> let's, let's be honest, you know, coming up with ideas and buying remote sport is not, is no hardship, uh, to be honest. I mean, it's a challenge, but it's one you'd, you'd want to enjoy, really. Like, I, I wouldn't certainly, I would say, overstate the hardship any of us are enjoying, certainly compared to a lot of people. Yeah, no, I think, do you find that there's more access maybe to players and managers around this time? That's an interesting one because you would ask the question if they... Michael Moynan of the Irish Examiner getting in touch about stand or sideline. Some texts coming in on this in 0868104106. Jamie says, I don't think managers should be on the sideline. It's nothing but a distraction to me when I'm playing with my club. And then Adele said, uh, she said, I think I prefer my managers on the sideline. I find it very encouraging and promising that our game means that much to our coach. That was Michael Wynan of the Irish Examiner. You can check out his piece in the Examiner today. Um, they're doing a great job. I know there's no live sports for them to be creative and to keep coming up with content to keep us all entertained has been truly amazing. Uh, so thank you. And now we're going to turn our attention to the Olympics. I know there's been a lot of speculation over the last few weeks and with the Tokyo Olympics due to start in six months from today I think organisers are adamant that the Games will go ahead I know Japanese officials have denied claims that the event will be cancelled due to the coronavirus pandemic and until we hear otherwise we should treat them like they're going ahead so during the week um, FPD announced the recipients of the Make a Difference programme they are going to fund a 50,000 which will assist Ireland Olympic hopefuls in their preparation for the Olympic Games and Phil Healy was one of the FPD Make a Difference recipients Ireland's fastest woman ever, Phil Healy. Welcome to the Big Red Bench. It's lovely to have you back on the show. Absolutely. Thanks, Amelia, for having me on again. Phil, how have you been keeping? Everything is going really well, obviously, with the circumstances that there is. It is difficult for um, everybody. It is challenging times, whether um, you're in a business, whether you're in sport, whether it's just day-to-day. Um, but for me, like I'm doing everything that I can at the moment and training is going very well and I'm lucky to have the elite exemptions at the moment where I can continue my training and I'm very fortunate to have that um, and have the access to the track and have the access to the gym where I'm based in Waterford at the moment. Brilliant. I know that it's a new year and we need to set new goals and you probably need to do that also. But last year probably was a tough year for you, Phil, because, you know, with Tokyo being rescheduled and you probably being in the form of your life, you know, did you let that get to you at all? Did you feel disappointed? Absolutely. And I certainly frustra- frustrating as an athlete because like I kicked off um, 2020 in super form and I broke the um 
national indoor 200 meter record and it's the 200 that I have been qualified for for Tokyo um so like when you see that you have you are in the shape of your life because you have run the quickest you've ever ran um and to break the national record in the process it definitely is frustrating because um the games are postponed it's taken out of your control and like as an athlete you just have to adapt you just have to move on but initially there was definitely like doubts I was like what if I don't qualify the next time because your qualification isn't guaranteed and like it just rolls over into the next year so um at the moment I'm ranked 25th out of a possible 56 in the world that are going to be selected so I am sitting in a very good position and I'm very lucky to be that way but I was like initially I was like so that was 2020, 2019, I was in the shape of my life as well. And then I was just walking back from training one day and I wobbled off a step and I broke my foot. So like things can just change so quickly. But um, uh, bottom line, it gave me that extra motivation to push things on, not settle for like having those doubts. Obviously, as an actor, you are going to initially have those doubts. But you, it didn't take long for me to just like pick myself up, drive it on. Like, and I mean like a couple hours, like it's not a days and a weeks thing. Um, and just have that extra hunger to um, push things on and make it happen um, this year. Good. No, I know you mentioned the foot there, but I remember the last time I was talking to you, I feel like you dislocated your shoulder and your coach had to pop it back in in the middle of a lockdown for you. I mean, you're like a superwoman, Phil, to be honest, being able to pop your shoulder back in just with like that. Yeah, so that happened at the end of April, another freak accident, but like it was a time where... I couldn't go to physio. I wanted to avoid the hospitals and different things like that. So, um, yeah, I do have two physios, um, one Conor McCarthy and the other Emma Galvin. And Conor didn't answer, so Emma was next. And Emma is, um, she works with uh, Conor Brogy at the moment, but she was um, with Athletics Ireland before. So Emma was on FaceTime and Shane was there and he was like, look, Phil, there's nothing wrong with your shoulder. Like, you're perfectly fine. And I was like, Shane, I am like, why is a ghost here? I'm so dizzy and I'm in like cold sweats. And Emma was like, Shane, her shoulder is out of place. So, um, yeah, it took two goals to pop it in. But um, I was back to normal um, so quick. And training did adapt. But it was just minimal. Like, I, was, I wasn't able to run for a week and I just did everything on the bike. But, um, yeah, it did affect my gym now, in fairness, for a while because I just wasn't able to to lift heavy and for me if I can't lift heavy and have those strength gains um I would notice that my speed dropped when my strength dropped so um but it was a year where there was no pressures because um in terms of qualification everything was frozen um from April to the start of December in 2020 so um it gave me that opportunity to work on different things um but uh, no it was a weird time but we bounced back from it Great. Um, you mentioned the adaptation of, you know, being in COVID and having to adapt to maybe training your training routine and stuff. And But how do you keep the motivation going when it's rescheduled, you know, right, will it happen next year? It might happen next year. Is it all in your mind? Is this a mental thing now for you, Phil, that you're like, right, aside from putting the body through this, it needs to be up here as well? Absolutely. And the mental side is an awful um, amount of it. And like, there is there's a story about the Olympics every single day on Twitter and like I was saying to my physio last week I was like if one person one more person asked me if the Olympic Games are going to go ahead or if they're not going to go ahead I don't have these answers just like nobody else has so like as an athlete it's going ahead until it's cancelled and so for me it's going ahead and I'm doing everything to work towards that so um uh like Yes, we do have to make the adaptions. Yes, competitions are even happening at the moment and different things like that. And it's frustrating because you see that they're happening in other countries. And I've made the decision not to travel to um, 
to raise at the moment and I have turned down a lot of big opportunities but for me I have to look at the risk versus the rewards and we have European Indoor Championships at the start of March and I'm lucky to have the standard already so that puts me in a better position where I don't have to go and chase a standard so um, I'm just sitting tight at the moment and um, see what way things play out but yeah mentally it's a massive aspect and like I would work closely with my sports psychologist as well and she um is a psychologist for um, so many Olympic athletes so she knows where we're all coming from and what to say to us and how to cope and different things like that but as an athlete it's going ahead and until it's cancelled um it's cancelled so like I just have to ignore all that extra noise um yeah. from the media and uh, people asking uh, your sports psychologist that's Kira isn't it uh, Kira is um, my sports psychologist, Kira Losty. Yeah, so she's based here in Waterford, but she um, is um, the psychologist to so many Olympic athletes um, as well across different sports. What does someone like a sports psychologist do for you now, Phil? Like, do you go to her and say, "I'm not having a great day. I, I'm not in the right mind frame to train." Is she there to motivate you? What kind of stuff does she do with you? Yeah, because like people think like. There is so much stigma around sports psychology as well because like even say when it was a time where you could see her face to face, like people would see me going in and they're like when I come back out, they're like, Oh, are you fixed now? Like it's not about going to get fixed, like it's another performance enhancer, it's just the exact same as me going to physio or going to nutrition. Um to get those extra percentages. So it's just literally for me, um, I look at my team as well and like last year and the years previous, my Obviously, my coach is male, my physio is male, my nutritionist was male, physiologist was male, like, and my training group were male. So, Kira having a female person in there as well was great just to go and have a chat. And we could be chatting about from Netflix to college to anything at all. So, it was just great to just go in, switch off. And, like, within all that, she is seeing what's going on in my head and she can see different things that I need to work on or different strategies. And it's just the simplest of things that she might say to help me process things differently. Um, makes a massive difference um, at the end but like it's not like oh I go in and sit on the couch and I say oh my problems are x y and z and like yeah. I need to write this goal and that goal like and different things like that it's just generally for me it's going for a cup of tea it's going for have a, have a chat and just uh, discuss different things that have happened different things that are coming ahead and uh, um, just building different uh, strategies around um, all of it. It's brilliant. It's lovely that you have that support, as you mentioned, all males around you. It's nice to have a female thrown in there as well the odd time. But, Phil, you know, how important is I know your coach, Shane, is absolutely amazing to you and he pushes you to the best you can be. But have you a training partner that maybe can push you that bit further? Is there anyone you train with that you're like, right, I need this person beside me to give me that extra bit of a goal? Absolutely. And, like, I would be very between like my training is focused between 100, 200 and 400. So like I would have an awful range in the distances. So like the training with that changes as well. So it is so important to have the training partners and I have two lads that push me on. So they're faster than me. So they make me up my game, but it also makes them up their game because they don't want me um, right on their shoulder either. But um, as well, another international athlete, Molly Scott joined our group this year. So, um, I have lost the lads in terms of exempt because they don't fall under the exemptions at the moment. So it is great to have Molly go- coming to training with me. There is certain sessions that we overlap with um, in terms of distances and the exact same reps. But 
just having someone there in general that we can just bounce off each other. We're both going through the same thing. We do the gym together and different things like that. She lives with me. So we're all in the same bubble. So absolutely. It gives you that extra motivation um, to up your game and just having that company makes a massive difference as well. Well, you can tell you're extremely motivated and whoever around you, I could say, can be motivated from view yourself as well, Phil. But you are in a great position. We did mention you're 25 of 56 and you need to keep that belief and you need to keep the belief alive that it's going ahead and you as an athlete will be there. Absolutely. And like for me, it's just working um, between now and then. I do have obviously the short term goals of European indoors, which is in a very positive light at the moment for going ahead. So um, there is so many athletes that are in the same position that in me, even in Cork, Cologne, not in mind the whole of Ireland and across the world. So um, we're in the exact same mind frame that it is going ahead and we're doing everything that we can possibly do to prepare ourselves um, in the lead up. It is so far um, away at the moment, so we have to focus on what we can do day to day, building it up week to week and putting the months um, back together and building that consistency. Brilliant. Well, it's lovely to chat to you on the Big Red Bench, but you did join us because you are an FBD recipient of their Make a Difference programme. They did announce, along with the Olympic Federation of Ireland, that they will be doing a fund of 50,000 for, you know, hopefuls preparing for the Olympics, which is an amazing thing for them to do, Phil. And you're one of them. Absolutely. And it is great to have that extra support because as an athlete, um, anything, any support that you can get makes a massive, massive difference from, it could be the smallest of things to the biggest of things. So I'm... um, Delighted to have the support from um, FBD for uh, the coming few months and all the difference that it's going to make. Well, brilliant. I'm sure we'll be chatting to you again before you head to Tokyo, Phil. I've no doubt because you're in the form of your life, you'll do absolutely amazing there. And the people of Cork will be delighted if you do so. So um, the very best look to you and we'll chat to you before you head. All right. Super. Thanks a million, Valerie. Ireland's fastest woman, Phil Healy, joining us on the bigger bench, hopeful for the Olympics. And as she said, you know, it must be very hard as an athlete every day for hearing people going, is it cancelled? Is it on? Is it cancelled? Is it on? I mean, it's on until it's properly and like really cancelled. So, you know, keep in mind if you are chatting to athletes like Phil about the Olympics over the next couple of weeks, because they don't like being asked if it's still on or not. We've plenty more coming up. Apollo Dunman, Dara Daly from the GA Handball Association. And we're going to hear from Johan van Grand ahead of Munster's Clash with Leinster tonight. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Cork's Red FM. Missed the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Welcome back to the Big Red Bench with me, Valerie Wheeler, with you until 7pm. Now, we're going to keep the Olympics talk going, but in just a little bit, I did mention Dara Daly. He's a National Development Officer for Handball, GA Handball in Ireland. He's going to be chatting to us about the impact that COVID has had on the sport and that they have a very um, special initiative going on this week and plenty of activities for people to get involved in. And also Monster are in action later on, so Johan van Gran will be previewing that game. Now, as I said, let's keep the talk going with the Olympics. This week, the FVD did announce that the recipients of the Make a Difference programme, a €50,000 fund, which will assist Ireland Olympic hopefuls in the preparation for the game. It's absolutely amazing. Um, FBD brand ambassador and Paul O'Donovan was on hand to help with the launch. Paul O'Donovan, FBD brand ambassador and Olympic medal winning rower, joins me in the big red bench in Corks Red FM this week. Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Valerie. How are you doing? Good, great, Paul. A couple of years ago, you were a young lad with a big dream and all that dream took off and you became a household name. Um, oh, I, yeah, I suppose... 
we had a bit of a dream, all right. Now we we kind of dreamed of winning the gold medal, you know. Nobody, I don't think, no or anybody dreams of winning the silver medal. So it was, it was a bit un, un, unfortunate there. But um, Joe, we're 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 back at it again, and and uh, we're gonna gonna try again now for for Tokyo next summer. Yeah, dealing with that publicity and being known around. I mean, the the name Skibbereen. I think everyone knew that place across the world by the time they were finished interviewing you in Rio. Um. I did, yeah. I know it made um, uh, made Skibbereen pretty pretty well known. In fairness, and um, I think the I suppose the most positive thing to take from it was it really put the sport of rowing as well on the map. Um, got people talking about it and interested in actually watching races and, and following what's going on. And I think we're kind of seeing now um, come this Olympics that we have uh, a much bigger team than than the previous one and. They're competitive right across um, all events. You know, we've got lightweight men, lightweight women, heavyweight women and, and, and heavyweight men. And even for those boats that are competitive, there's competition to get into those boats as well. So there's kind of real depth uh, throughout the squad, which is, um, that's that's really good to see and, and, and a, a great positive. Why do you think your achievements helped grow the sport? Um... I suppose I wouldn't joke totally put it down to ourselves. I mean, maybe some people took uh, a little bit of inspiration or, or a little bit of belief from from what we did. It's hard to say. You kind of you want to talk to the, the other guys about that, but I think really, um, Joe, if, if you go to the rowing centre, there's there's loads of of guys and girls out there doing doing amount of training that's nearly beyond belief you know and they're not out there looking at myself and Gary so it's really just down to what they're doing themselves for for themselves you know um and it doesn't kind of take much to start that culture but once it's going in it nearly just keeps on rolling that that people kind of see other people are able to to get a bit of success and then they just kind of commit that that extra bit and, and kind of go for it and um, it seems to be, be paying off. After the limelight and enjoying some maybe celebratory um, parties that you deserved, it was back to training and training and training. That's what you've been doing since. It is, yeah. I mean, Joe parties are, are, are great and... and, and uh, it's always always nice to do a bit of that, but we we always say that that we're happiest when we're training and and out there getting results. So it's, it's okay to do a little bit and but not too much because um we said we'd we'd be a lot less happy at the end of the day when when all is said and done if if we weren't performing at the rowing, you know. So you kind of got to think a little bit about the, the long term goals and figure out what what your priorities are and and. Uh, set everything in order to, to go after that. Yeah, the disappointment of Tokyo being rescheduled last year to this year, and I know with COVID-19, how did someone like yourself adapt to training? I know there was a, a while where you weren't even able to get out in the water, Paul. Yeah, I think maybe some people are disappointed, but uh, to be honest, a lot of us there at the Rowing Centre weren't too put out at all, to be honest, because we had planned on continued rowing the year after or this year anyway, and doing it at a competitive level, so it's really... It doesn't make you much, too much of a um, a setback to us, um, and they say that they're they're going to go ahead with, with the games now this summer. Um, so we've got to kind of go at that, and and uh, I suppose get just get on with the training and then go about our daily business. And it's really it's just a habit for us this stage uh, that we don't kind of have to 
think about motivating ourselves every day to go out and train and be oh how am I going to get out of bed today it's it's just kind of a a habit and, and we do it out of enjoyment and if, if we weren't doing it we'd kind of miss it and we'd be like well, what's going on here you know I know and but those times where you'd adapt and maybe like it's obviously not the same as sitting on a row or you'd sit in a gym than getting into a boat um uh, no it's not it's not too much different uh, especially all, all throughout the year and, and during the winter time especially we do use the rowing machine quite a lot for training um because in, in this country especially it gets quite windy so it's, it's difficult to get out in the boat every day um, so we do use drawing machines quite a bit um, and so when back in March last year when, when they had that kind of initial uh, lockdown we had uh, rowing machines and, and some gym equipment in our house and so we were able to just kind of get on with some, some training there and we were back out in the boats then later in the summer and since then uh, the government has allowed uh, elite athletes to get on with training during these uh, level five lockdowns. So we've been kind of still still been able to get out in the boat and do our our daily business as, as usual. So good. Good, that's great. I was only introduced to a rowing machine last year myself, Paul. And how uh, how quick should I be doing a thousand meter row? I mean, I could be sitting on that for ages. <laughs> how quick could you do it? Oh, a thousand meters, I suppose you do it in um, a little bit less than three minutes, I suppose. <laughs> I think I need to up my, up my game on the rowing machine, so if that's the case. But look, competition must be extremely high. I know it's high in the Olympics and in the games that you're participating in, but it's closer to home as well. I mean, with Skibbereen and the amount of people that are wanting to place, you know, in competitions is crazy for such a small place. I think there's five. Is there five of you? Um, I think there's kind of maybe three or four of us now in in, in running for things this year. Um, but there's there we're all kind of still really good and, and really competitive. So uh, we've been kind of going out there and, and mixing up combinations a little bit. And um, hopefully by the end of March, then we'll be kind of settled on on one combination that will go forwards for the for the racing season and. And hopefully then onto the, the Tokyo regatta then a little later in the summer. Is it friendly competition, Paul, or are you going hell for leather out there with the lads? Oh, yeah. Um, you're always kind of going, going hell for leather when, when, when it's competition. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a, good, a good environment and everyone's kind of, I suppose, pushing, pushing each other on and, and, I suppose, supporting people if, if they need that. And um, I suppose, uh, yeah, you have to be cooperative with each other too because each of us is kind of out there for ourselves you know and um, if, I, if I want to make the boat I want the best person in the boat with me to be the best that they can be as well so it's natural that I'm not going to try and hold them back because at the end of the day that's going to, to hold me back and, and vice versa with, with the rest of the guys too so I think we're all, we're all quite sensible and, and grown up and we can kind of see that kind of long term term picture on things so it um it just allows us to, to get on with things, you know. Good. It's been such a tough couple of months for everybody and athletes like yourself as well. But what keeps you motivated, you know, when you're not able to go out in the water and maybe when competitions are being postponed, it must be very hard to keep that motivation. Uh, uh, not too bad, to be honest. Like, we kind of train all year, every year. And for most of that, like, the racing season is generally only April until 
August, maybe September sometimes. So it's kind of limited. So I think for, for rowers anyway, it's um, we're used to being, being a, I suppose, pretty much locked down and, and just seeing ourselves and, and the boat and the rowing machine. And like getting out of bed and, and going to training is, is just a habit by this stage that you're not thinking about it. Um, and like that, if you're sitting around thinking all day, every day, that I have to find a way to motivate myself to get fast to go to the Olympics, then you're really going to kind of wear yourself out mentally, I'd say. Um, and so it's, uh, it really is because we've done so much of it. It's, it's just a habit and you're kind of, you're an autopilot really a lot of the time doing these things. Do you ever get sick of it? Is there ever a day where you're like, oh, I just can't go out there and do it? Uh, not, not too bad, no. Um, sometimes after a couple of weeks of heavy training, you'd, you'd be in need of a, a day off, but, but we get them as well now and again, and that kind of, <clears throat> that keeps us fresh and, and wanting more than, than afterwards. So uh, it's, it's okay. I don't mind it. Do you take a day off? Are you out there every day? Um, most days now we've kind of, uh, we've had a heavy three-week block now, um, and we, I, I think most of us took a, a day off yesterday, and that was kind of the first one in a while, which usually kind of most weeks we'd have maybe a half day or two as, as a full day off, um, which is kind of good to, to get, get a bit of recovery in that uh, you, need, you need, need a little bit of that. You do, you certainly need a break as well. But Paul, it is a new year. Um, what is the new goal for this year? Uh, I suppose like that, um, you talk about the new year, but really the, the years are the same, the same thing for us every year. And that we, we either have kind of the World Championship at the end of the season, most years or it's the Olympic Games. And we're always kind of going out there to try and perform our best on, the, on that day. So um, really for us, we just set our goal of, trying to win, win the race at the end of the season and um, do do the training day to day to the best of our, our ability to try and do that. So it's really just uh, more or less a kind of a, a typical year for us, to be honest. Okay, typical year. But Paul, you did join us on the bench because you are an FBDM brand ambassador and a supporter of the FBD Make a Difference program. They have announced that they've supported and funding €50,000 for the athletes, which is an amazing boost for the athletes wanting to go to Tokyo. It is, no, it's fantastic, and I suppose I'm kind of, I'm being used now as, as the kind of old hand to, I suppose, welcome the, the new young bucks to the, the FBD team, and uh, it's great that they've kind of taken this initiative and started this program, because uh, I think, joined yeah, in Ireland for, for these Olympic sports, a lot of it, um, or say, in terms of the, the Sports Council funding comes down to you getting, getting results on, on the big stage, and at the very elite level, it takes a lot of years of training to actually go out and do that. So you have to, I suppose, put in that initial investment yourself. And, and there, there, there's a lot of talent out there that just uh, aren't able to, to commit that last bit to, to go and do it. So with a scheme like this now, it, it should kind of help them along the way to to be able to, to stick at it a, a bit longer and, and hopefully get that result. And and keep progressing on from there and, and, and keep moving up the ladders. Brilliant. That's what we want to keep those athletes in their chosen sport. But Paul, thank you so much for joining me in the big red bench this week and I wish you the very best luck. Thank you. Appreciate it.
Paulo Donovan chatting to me during the week. He was an FBD brand ambassador on hand to launch their Make a Difference program. 50,000 euros for athletes. Absolutely amazing support. And uh, Paul and Gary O'Donovan, an interviewer's dream. So they are. Uh, Dara Daly now is going to join me. So this week on the Big Red Bench, Dara Daly is the National Development Officer of the J Handball. He's going to join me. Dara, welcome to the show. Hi, Robert. Thanks for having us. Dara, we are in the middle of a pandemic and, you know, COVID has impacted a lot of sports and I'm sure, just like other sports, handball has been in, in impacted. Yeah, it's been tough on the sport and um, I suppose more so than the outdoor sports. A lot of the indoor sports have been hit quite hard and we've had a fairly disruptive year now since we've well, come up the close to a year. We've had very little action. Um, we... We got to open up a wee bit there just around September time on a limited basis and we got to play out of offer one of our elite championships. But for the most part, I, at sport we've been hit, we haven't hit quite hard. Um, a lot of our clubs haven't really opened um, since last since last March. Um, it's been difficult. A lot of clubs have small numbers. And with just the restrictions um, on indoor sports, it's, just, it's hard on our clubs. But hopefully, hopefully with the vaccine coming through, we'll, we'll be able to get back in this of course now in the coming months yeah hopefully is right but you did say you have been impacted really hard and it's probably it's probably not an easy thing for you to go through because you're probably trying to encourage people to pick up the sport and start playing it and continue it and with something like this a big disruption like this can be very detrimental to the sport of handball it, it, it can be so there's looking at it. you know we hope people won't have lost interest by the time we open up again so we're kind of hoping that the appetite will be there for people to come back and, mm. and play more and, and return and I know myself I, I'm a player myself and um, I'm chopping at the bench to, to go back to play it's been nine months since we got the chance to play competitively so okay, it, it, is, it is hard but um, I just had a reference to it but just the, the pandemic more, more important as what's been done in sport um, people's health is on the line but as a, a staff we've had to adapt and try to interact with our fans more online and um, different courses and through social media and um, utilising resources and developing, uh, developing club structures and stuff so we've all had to adapt so it's hard to know, hard to know how we'll come out in the end but um, I'll be positive that come, come lockdown's finished but um, everyone will be chopping the bit to go back to the end. Yeah, exactly. And you mentioned the resources there. And I did have a look at your website during the week to find out more about, you know, what's going on there. And the website is amazing. I mean, there's lots of coaching videos and resources for people. And like, that is great to go on and be able to see those coaching videos is is amazing for people to kind of keep motivated, I suppose, and for someone to learn the sport as well. Yeah, look, uh, we kind of put a big push into our website uh, and try to make it a a one-stop resource for, for all our members, um, and that's even not even talking about during the pandemic. Just in general, um, we, we won't have big staff numbers, uh, full-time staff at, at local level, on the ground level. So mm. we, we try to make all these um, make use of the online resources and providing as much coaching opportunities for or learning opportunities for our clubs. Um, but yes, we, we we do have a lot of good online content, and again, during the pandemic, we, we have been sharing that. And, Clubs having made new that uh, or players, a lot of stuff you can do at home, just um, individual training. So, um, yeah, okay, that's good. It's good. Nice to hear positive comments on it as well. So, thanks very much. 
Yeah, no, it's honest to God, it was really, I really found it really beneficial when I did go on it. And also something that I loved about it was the club locator you have. I mean, if anyone was interested in a sport, it's such a an easy thing to go on and find. Let's say I want to take up handball. Oh my God, look, there's a club near me. So the club locator even was so beneficial to people, I'd say. Yeah, so we, we would have about 180 clubs um, nationwide, which is probably more than people realise. And we're a minority sport, but 180 clubs nationally is not that bad. So we we have all our clubs listed on our website. Uh, I keep contact, um, a Google Maps direction clip. So, yeah, if anybody's interested, uh, I know in, in Cork, Cork is one of our, our stronger humble counties. So there are um, plenty of clubs in Cork. So if anybody's interested, look, pop onto our website. It's ghamble.ie and um, very easy to find your nearest club. Brilliant. Honestly, it's great. And this week you are doing something online. It's a She's Ace Women and Handball program. And I know you're probably unlucky with COVID that you weren't able to get together and do something. But you have a launch, this She's Ace online festival this week. Plenty of events for people to enjoy. Yeah, so our, our She's Ace program is essentially our Women and Handball program. And a key feature of our She's Ace program is our annual She's Ace tournament every January. We host up in Mayo and we have had last year with 190 women from 8 right through wow. to 40 um, gathering playing games. So um, it is up to a real highlight of the year. Um, a lot of the handball, you know, will come to national competition and the learning series is very competitive. Whereas this is a, a really good social weekend. You'd have a mix of youngsters that never played before, mothers that are playing with double tournaments with their daughters, and they're all mixed with the elite players. So it is a, it's a great weekend and it has been growing from strength to strength. And, Look, we, we didn't want to just go ahead and not even market the event this year. So, um, yeah, we decided to run a, an online week of events and competitions and quizzes to try and get everybody involved and a bit of positivity. And so far, it's just been going, going very well. Brilliant. No, I've seen some things up online and I know on Tuesday, Katrina Casey, our very own Cork superstar, was uh, doing an Instagram takeover and it was great to see, you know, she's plenty of astonishing All-Irelands and titles behind her name and plenty of other ge- other um, online events. People can check it out on the handball, gahandball.ie is the place where they can go or else your Twitter page. Yeah, so look, I suppose we'll talk about Katrina for Katrina's um, yeah, handball, handball royalty as such. She has... Um, <laughs> I think she's only 27, 28, so it's not as if she's, she's um, close to retirement age. Uh, I think she's only 21 parents, which is r- ridiculous. So, Katrina took over our Instagram page, and I think she had potential for a full-time social media post uh, for a job, because she's, she's very good and got great interaction, and it's nice for the younger years across the country to ask questions and um, speak to Katrina, so that is encouraging. But, um, yeah, look, in terms of, like, we have lots more events Come up to the rest of the week. We have a family quiz night coming up on Saturday as one of our, our highlights, which we hope everybody gets involved in. Um, but look, if you across all our social media platforms, we're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, the search be humble, and you'll see all the dance posted up daily. Brilliant. Well, I think it's important to do things like this to keep people interested in sport. And you never know, after talking on the Big Red Bench tonight, you might have new members in local clubs here in Cork, which would be great to see, Dara. But Dara, can I ask you a question before you go? What is the ratio of men as to women when it comes to handball in Ireland? Are there more men playing it than women? What is what is the story there? It, it would be be heavily um, more male-based. Um, now, at juvenile level, 
assume my level would be, wouldn't be as far, like maybe 60, 40 uh, boys and girls. It's just when we get into um, adulthood, we kind of see a drop up of our ladies. So that's not true through our CGS program. We are trying to um, stop that drop off as such. Now, it's not a problem just for handball, it's a problem for, for most sports. So we are trying to um, change that and offer more grades for um, adult females to, to keep playing or come, come back playing, even if they're finished playing their come up here or football um, there's always a, a grade to come back and play handball so uh, it is something we're trying to push up and it's a key feature of a CGS is to kind of get more females back playing so I suppose an adult maybe maybe like, I don't know maybe three quarters of male um, and 25% would be uh, female at, at adult right. level but at juvenile level um, it would be closer to a pretty split Right, well, okay, this is why the She's Ace um, Women and Handball programme is so important, so Dara, to get try and get more women playing. And I mean, for someone like me, I've never even tried the sport. Is it possible for me to even take part in it? Like, if you've no yeah, skill yeah. whatsoever? No, of course. At, at all our events, we offer a beginner's grade. So, okay. um, basically, no, no experience um, required and... Um, it's a fun, relaxed time. You know, everybody's kind of daunting coming to the first tournament that they've never played before. But um, yeah, look, even at a club level, there'd be lots of different leagues, winter leagues and stuff that would have different divisions. So look, there's definitely you, you don't have to play handball from from young age to okay. to take it up. No, so um, yeah, look, well, if you're interested, I'll put you on to our, our car combat section. <laughs> sign up, no problem. I know I should give it a go. I feel like after all this talk, I definitely want to see what it's like. But Dara, it was great having you on the big red bench, and it's lovely to be able to promote the sport. And especially, we need to get more women playing. And if that's the ratio, and um, long may continued success to people in the handball sport. But Dara, thank you so much for joining us on the big red bench. Thank you, Bobby. Dara Daly, National Development Officer, chatting to me about the impact COVID has had on the sport. You can check him out at gaahandball.ie. Now, Munster Leinster at full strength this evening for the Guinness Pro 14 in Limerick. As I mentioned earlier on, there's 37 internationals named across the two squads. Um, they're all trying to impress, I suppose, Andy Farrell before the Six Nations. The action gets underway in Tome at a 25 day. But let's take a listen. Here is um, Johan van Grand, Munster head coach, during the week previewing the game ahead of their clash with Leinster tonight. Obviously, it was uh, to be on the 26th of December but uh, that couldn't been uh, played and now it's just before the Six Nations uh, so I believe um, there will be two top teams playing against each other uh, it's our first home game of the season against uh, the Pro 14 champions so uh, you know uh, uh, a nice start for us at home for, for the year and um, you know their quality is undeniable and it's always a massive game against Leinster it's another game in our in our season. Uh, you know we have played uh, nine games in the Pro 14 and, and have won eight, and, and and so have Leinster. You know uh, yeah, they are are definitely one of the form sides of the competition and of the last three years. You know they've played 11 games this season across all competitions and have 11 bonus point wins. So. You know they're such a quality outfit, and uh, we know that, and and they and they know it. Uh, we're looking to improve our game every week. We believe that uh, we've done some nice things uh, this season. Uh, now we we had some convincing victories. We had some come behind victories. We had to grind out some victories. 
Uh, now, Munster lengths that are always special. Uh, one thing, uh, now I'm not a weather expert, but it looks like it can be rainy and cold and snowy on, on Saturday evening. So, so that will definitely play its part. And now uh, it, it comes down to to small moments and and guys taking the opportunities and. Um, you know, we didn't take our opportunities in the semi-final, and they did. And you know, they are rightly the champions. And uh, you know, we're looking forward to to play against them on on Saturday evening at Thurman Park. The Irish system is is one of the best systems in the world in terms of player management. And you know, all credit to the RFU for how they manage uh, the players. Uh, it's uh, great that uh, you know we've got a full squad uh, available and. Uh, you know, we'll we'll go with a team that we believe can can win on on Saturday evening at home. And I'm not sure what what Leinster will do, but I imagine they've got uh, quite a few guys available as well. So we're looking forward to a, a very good game. And look, uh, we've got big dreams for for the season, and and this is another game in in uh, our season. Uh, you know, this is our first home game since the Quinns game, which feels like months ago. Uh, so first one, I think, in six weeks that, that we are actually at home at, at Thurman Park and uh, we love to play at Thurman Park. And, you know, the fact that it's it's Leinster and uh, it's a special club and they guarantee the best. And, uh, you know, you, you always want to play against the best and that's how we see this weekend. And we're playing against a team that uh, have won the last 27 of 28 Pro 14 games. So that game didn't show us anything. Connacht had a fantastic performance on the evening. What it does show is that every rugby game is different. I think Leinster were very convincing, specifically in their second half against Ulster. They pinned them back. Ulster couldn't get out of their half and they scored four tries to zero with a convincing win at home. So uh, they've got international quality all over the park. So uh, certainly no weak points in that team. Monster head coach Johan van Graan ahead of tonight's game. It is all kick it off at 25 to 8. So it's something for us all to keep an eye on and look forward to. There's a beautiful, beautiful picture on Monster Rugby's Twitter page. I just spotted it. Um, a snap of Thoman Park. It looks like it's about to snow from info. So if you want to take a look, it's absolutely amazing. Thoman looks smashing. Um, hopefully soon, once we all get a vaccine, we'll be able to um, pack into stadiums around the country again. But that is it for me tonight on tonight's show. If you have missed anything, I will be podcasting the show straight afterwards. I'll be back next Saturday from 6pm. Rory is back tomorrow, tomorrow night. I'm sure he'll have plenty of action for you to keep you entertained. And Stevie G is on the way next. Thank you so much for listening. Slán. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Cork's Red FM.